Uh, do you take your cues? Do you take your cues from the world or do you take your cues from the teaching of Jesus? Now let that penetrate for a minute. I, I, it, is a, it is an everyday battle for me to take my cues from Jesus. I've taught through his parables. I teach through the gospels constantly, perpetually for over two decades. I have taught through these verses time and time and time again. And I still, every day, have to get up and say, Lord Jesus, I choose to take my cues from you. Not what is just naturally in my perspective, uh, not just naturally what the world tells me is important. Lord, I need your help. And we're going to look at a very difficult passage, and yet, and I want to say this from the outset, I, if you walk away from this morning with a bunch of, with, with many more oddas, I ought to do this, and I ought to do this, and you came in with kind of a big old sack of oddas, and then you kind of, and then, okay, Jip, go ahead and dump a few more in there, and then you kind of walk out, and you feel more oddas, you miss the whole crux of the story. This is very much about you learning to have the proper perspective that Jesus wants you to have about life and possessions. Let me say that again. This is about what Jesus wants to teach us leads to real life real life. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Fascinating, fascinating encounter he has with a guy. Can you imagine that your only inclusion in this canon of scripture that has been read by billions and billions of people over the last 2,000 years, and this would be your inclusion? This is your role in scripture? Jesus has to tell, tell a parable, essentially indirectly calling you a fool. Ouch, Ouch, Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, notice, teacher, he didn't see him, he just saw him as a teacher, somebody who had some authority, but certainly didn't see him for who he was, the Messiah, not only of Israel, but the Savior of the world that all the prophets had seen. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Really? This is your chance? The creator of the cosmos. I know they were having a hard time understanding that. The Lamb of God, the one who would lay down and bring salvation to the nations. All the prophets had been talking about it. This is your one opportunity to have an encounter, and you're asking him to somehow invade your family situation and get your brother to divide the inheritance with you? You just want to shake the guy as you read this. But Jesus said to him, man... Who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his, well, his possessions. Can I just tell you how difficult that is? Well, I don't care what we say, how we do, the media, the everything is coming at us, our friends, our neighbors, it's coming at us every day that your life is your possessions, your life is your possessions. You walk down the hallowed, hallowed fairways of these uh, country clubs around this valley, for those of you who are maybe watching and don't know and don't understand the Coachella Valley, the Palm Springs area, it's over 100 golf courses, tennis courts, pickleball courts, everything, whether you're, well, and you look around and you look at the surroundings and you see the homes, and we were at a place yesterday and the homes were, you know, 20 and $30 million, people were tearing down $20 million homes to build bigger homes. And, how, and, and I had a, a, one of our staff that was with us that's here, and they were in early service uh, with links from uh, Texas. He goes, well, how long are they here? I said, sometimes a month, two weeks, three weeks, two months, three months. 
Now, wh- what is it? What is it? I mean, two people, do they need 30,000 square feet? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, look, if you have 30,000 square feet, God bless you. And you have your family come in every once in a while. Good for you. There's not, again, by the way, we're not, we're not lifting up asceticism or we're not lifting up poverty as being some great virtue. That is not my point here. If you get that out of this, you've missed the whole message. What is it about in human nature that we need to feel like our lives are defined by our possessions? Possessions are obviously an indication of success. We matter, that we, we've played a role in what? Planet Earth? In your business? In your, in your something? Possessions are really just a reflect. You only need a certain amount of possessions. Imeldo Marcos, you didn't need all those shoes. You really didn't need all those. And I have a lot of shoes too. But uh, You didn't need all those shoes? I mean, what? Well, what? But we, there's some sense in us that as we are able to display our possessions and pursue those possessions, possessions, it is a reflection of how we fit into the earth and the earth, the story of the earth. And yet, and I've told you this uh, not long ago in a message, I had a very dear friend of mine, a multi-billionaire that I spent thousands of hours with over the years. And I'm just telling you, in one moment, in one second, when he breathed his last, everything was in trust and he, had, he was worth zero. From one second to the next. Does your life, is it defined by your possessions? Well, the world says it is. Jesus said it is not. Your life does not consist of your possessions. What Jesus is saying, what he's saying is that you, you're missing life. You, you, you miss the whole message on life. You want, me, you want to know what life is? I'm going to tell you. And he told them a parable. And he said, this is, let me just give you some insight, Jesus is saying. The land of a rich man was very productive. Now, at this point, it's an agrarian idea, right? For us, it could be uh, tech. You know, I had an innovative idea. I had some proprietary stuff going on, and I created a tech company, and it made X, Y, and Z. Or I had this beautiful app now. Now it's apps. Or it could be, you know, taxes. You're in the old business. And being in all business and oil is $100 a barrel now, and it was only 40 or 50 not long ago. And boy, we got some productive land here. And this is the response. There's nothing wrong with having productive land. Nothing. A rich man had productive land. And he, here's the problem. He began reasoning to himself. Self. But he didn't say self. He said soul. Listen to what he says. What shall, now notice all the eyes, what shall I do since I have no place to share my, store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, we're going to talk a little bit about the soul. Let me just say this. Your soul is functionally your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind is the place that you conceptualize life, that you think about things, where you see something and you say, boy, one day I can have that. Then you apply your will. You, 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 all your unction moves in the direction of being successful to be able to get what your mind has conceived. And then it, what happens is that your, your conceptual view, then your unction recruits, if you will, your, the emotive part of you, your passions, your desires and everything. And that's kind of like your heart. And so when you say you're so you're really talking about your mind and your will and your emotions. And so he says to his, if you will, with me, mind, will, and emotions, hey, here's what I want to happen. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease and eat and drink and let's have a good old time. But God said to him, this is tough. This is the parable Jesus told. This is not me coming up with something. 
You're, you're a fool. You're a fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. All your conceptual abilities, all your ability to act and engage as a human being in time and space, your will, and all the things that you so much desire, and all your affections and your all your emotions. Well, what? It's over. And let me ask you a question. Who's going to own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich, rich toward God. Somehow Jesus is telling them, your life doesn't consist in your possessions. Your life really going to consist in your richness towards God. Now, this could just be a, this could be a message on giving. I don't want it to be that. We're going to take it to another. I want to I give you another way to perceive what Jesus is trying to teach here. Okay? Are you with me? I want to give you, I don't allow your mind to work on a different kind of track rather than, okay, Jeff, throw in another auto. God, this is getting heavier and heavier. I, pro- I tell you what will happen. You'll find, you'll find a teacher who brings something to you that tickles your ears. Paul said in the latter times, people are going to look for teachers that don't teach what Jesus taught. They're going to be teaching what they want to teach. So it's going to bring people packing. Right? If we get more and more people, is that always a good indication? It's great. We want more people. But sometimes we're going to have people leave because like, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that Jesus wants to fill my coffers and wants me to have a good time. It's a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We stand against it at Church at the Red Door. Not that we don't want you to have health and that we don't want you to have wealth and we, do, we want you to prosper. Of course we do. But I don't want you to be the guy there in front of Jesus and going, hey, could you get my brother to split the inheritance with me? What's driving that? Well, it's a bad eye, and Jesus, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, and let me just finish this little portion of chapter 12. He said to his disciples, for this reason, because life isn't about possessions, because, no, for this reason, I don't want you to freak out about this, right? Don't worry about your life. You want to find life? Don't worry about your life. That's what Jesus is meaning by you want to find life? Give it away. You want to save your life? You're going to lose it. Don't think in just the eternal heaven and hell sense. You're going to lose your life the more you try to save it. We had a guy that you would know well that runs a huge, huge fund. And he drove by us twice. And the guys that I was with, we just noted, we looked and kind of, hey, how's it going? Stern, mean-spirited. I mean, just a really, really brutal guy. And a guy, all of you would know his name. And he drove us by. And you could tell there was internal turmoil. He had tried to save his life, in my view, and lost it. Don't worry about all that, what's your body and what you're going to eat. And Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap and they have, well, they have no storeroom or barn and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one single just moment to your lifespan? Impossible. Don't worry about all these matters. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, and neither neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory couldn't look like those lilies over there. But if God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? In other words, don't worry about your life. Get your eye right. Get your perspective right. Get your conceptualization of your life right. And don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. Look, God takes care of all this other. You men, he said... Uh, verse 29, and do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. The na- everybody, you don't have to be taught and trained to do that. You just take it in. 
You assume that your life is your possessions. It's the natural default position for fallen humanity. But your Father knows what you need. And seek his kingdom and all these things, they'll be added. And don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out, or an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. Now, again, is this a picture of Jesus? Again, we have to understand, we don't read the Bible, we read the Bible literarily. What is Jesus trying to communicate here? Does he literally want everybody for all of time in the church to sell everything that they have and get everything to charity? And which charity would that be? Does he want us to have no clothes? Does he want us to have nothing? I mean, is that what we're saying? Is the, is the point of this message that all Christians should become wards of the state where you can't provide for yourself, that you have no money in the bank? Where does that... Where does that bind itself to, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever, Paul would tell uh, in one of his letters. Uh, I mean, where is that? Observe the ant. She either, you know, she stores this stuff up so when hard times come and winter comes, she has food to eat, this little ant. Where does all this balance? Is he only talking to his disciples because he knows they're about to go on? Well, why would this be included? This is only information for the disciples, the, the 12, less Judas. It's only for them and replaced by Matthias. It's only for them. It's not really for us in the 21st century. And what begins to happen is when we come to this, we don't know how to deal with it. We either throw it in our backpack and feel more burdened and feel like lousy Christians, not motivated by the right thing, still finding our life bound up in our possessions, or we start playing the game twister. You know, where you put your hand over here and then you hear that Jesus says that over there and then Paul says that over there and then somebody else is playing and you're twisting around and spinning the thing and you just feel all twisted up and eventually you just fall or you give up and say, this is too difficult or I don't understand it or, well, let's just, you know, let's not go to that church or let's not listen to that anymore. We don't want to listen exactly to what Jesus says. We want to kind of know it and we want to go to heaven. We'd prefer to go to heaven, not go to hell, but we're not going to really get into that. I mean, we're not going to be that religious. How do you deal with this? What are the practical implications of this? I will tell you that Malachi, God speaking through the prophet Malachi, I'm not going to go through the whole thing as a function of time, but Malachi essentially ends his conversation, God through Malachi. He says, you teachers, that's me up here right now, you better be very careful and not give partiality in the instruction. That was the warning. They were telling people what they wanted to hear, not what God wanted them to hear. God, what God wants you to hear leads to life. See, but that's what we don't, we don't really deeply believe that. We think if we really listen to God, he's going to tell us to do all this stuff we don't want to do, and we're not going to have joy. And you didn't hear that from Pam, did you? We have had more joy. We got more out of this. This has been unbelievable, you know, our life and our family. And now we then, not only do we have the internal knowledge that we, we, have, we have taken time, treasure, and talent and moved it into heaven that will never be, rust can never come near it moths can't destroy it that gives us added joy which makes us uh, percolate even more and then we get involved in more things and all of a sudden we're just being part of this family and yeah there's persecution and weird and social ostracization however this is a pretty good life maybe Jesus had it right all along Maybe he had it right all along. What is life's essence? I'm asking you. I think we need to do ask two very critical questions. And I've, I've told you this before, church, but you have to. If you're new to this or watching on television or whatever, I'm just telling you right now, you need to ask two fundamental questions. Who are you? Who am I? Who am I? And why in the world am I here? Why am I here? 
Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings said this, Samwise Gamgee asked Frodo, what kind of tale are we in? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, and this is how I want you to reconstruct thinking about rather than add to my backpack of odd as, ugh, 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 I feel like such a lousy Christian. And then anytime you do something, you look at that and you go, wow, I should be better. I should do more. I should, why don't I look like whoever? We're, we're trying to move from that legalistic view of Jesus' life-giving teachings about life's essence and move to a place where you understand that you are living in a story. Do you believe that this is a story? This is a story. What kind of story it is, is it? Well, first, let's answer the question, who are you? Ephesians chapter 2 says simply this. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Good works, which God prepared beforehand. In other words, there is a story a worldwide story that is being told, we only get a fraction of it in the Bible. The book of Acts is a fractional picture of God's total story. If you look back and say they were in God's story and now we're just religious people, you miss the whole point. You're being called into a tale. You need to be asking this question, what kind of tale am I in? What tale is this? Is this... Me living my own tale and then adding a little religion over here in case there's a heaven and hell? Please, God, say that's not the truth. You don't want to be the guy that's over there encountering, having the opportunity to encounter the creator of the universe and then turning around and say, hey, 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 my brother's not splitting the inheritance with me. Help me out here. What a, what a bizarre, look, what kind of tale are you in? You're in a reconciliation tale. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Your life is not about your possessions. That's part of all things. Your life does not consist in your possessions. You can have all the possessions you want. God, there's rich people in the Bible. There's poor people in the Bible. It's not about that. You missed the point. What role in this tale are you playing if you're playing a role? If you don't see yourself as being an actor in the cosmic reconciliation story, you'll just live a religious life. You'll be dissatisfied. You'll be uns truly unsatisfied, and the people around you won't grow, and you won't be fruitful, and they won't grow from you. All these things are from God who reconciled to himself us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Well, I, I picked this picture of these two girls. I don't know why, why they're, you know, I, I, I saw that picture as them, that maybe that had a long-standing feud and then somehow they were reconciled. Somebody said they're sorry, there was repentance, they changed their mind or whatever, they gave in and, and they were reconciled. And, and that's what Paul is saying. What kind of story are we in? We're in a reconciliatory story. This is kind of the story we're in. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors to Christ, for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Would part of the conceptualization of your life 
be ambassadorial and that you are actually begging people to be reconciled to Christ? Let me give you a practical example. So again, because we're in this world of country clubs, for those of you who may not understand what that is, you come to the Palm Springs area and there's a country club and then it's next to another country club, which is next to another country club and you crawl over this wall. If you crawl over in the middle of the night, you can go to a place that has, you know, maybe higher monthly dues or whatever, but you have these little, and they're just lined up and people find it so weird. And occasionally have these ungated communities and that's where worker bees like us live. So that when then we go behind the walls and we serve and then we come back to our little places. But typically we don't have walls around ours, but that's the, that's the valley. That's the valley. And you say, well, why are you, why are you even mentioning that? Well, this whole reconciliatory thing, you say before, I say, I, I rose to the, be the president of my club. I really aspire to be the president of the club. And now there's club politics and all the different things that go on, and there's infighting and everything else. And, and uh, they, we want the greens uh, to be bigger, wider, faster, slower. We want, we want uh, tea times, no tea times. We want this kind of food. We're sick of our chef. We need a new chef. And you get so involved in that, and all of a sudden, your life, your eye becomes the, the lamp of your life, light begins to stream stream in and you conceptualize yourself differently. You no longer care about position in your club, being the club president or this or that. You may even be the club president, but your primary task is those opponents who used to believe that, you know, greens should be or tennis courts should be this or whatever. Uh, pickleball should be, you know, rather than your opponent, you, you realize that your highest conceptual idea is that they would come to know Jesus. And you use that. You stay right where you are. Part of the Great Commission is go and make disciples. If you understand the, the breakdown of what that means is as you are going, in other words, as you're going about life, be part of a story of reconciliation. You don't have to go like, all right, now I got to go to Zimbabwe. As you go along, as you go, as you walk about, be a, do you realize your story of reconciliation? Are you in a story of reconciliation? Or have you just tried to kind of, all right, teach me a little something? Ah, oh, that's hard, uh, you know. But fundamentally, you still see yourself as though your life consists of your possessions. You, 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 you working in the seen realm. So here's what I'm going to ask now. What does it take to absorb, absorb yourselves in God's call? I'm going to ask you, what does it take to fully absorb yourself in God's story? Two things I'm going to think. Number one, you have an identity as a bond slave. 1 Corinthians 6 simply says, Do you not know that your body, my flesh and blood, is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have from God, and you're not your own. See, when I gave my life to Jesus, I don't know that I fully understood all the ramifications. I don't even know that I knew this verse. I wanted to go to heaven and not go to hell, and they said if I believed in Jesus, I could go to heaven and not go to hell. But as I began to be discipled by the Holy Spirit and by the church and by teachers and different things, as I began to be discipled, I said, you know what? I need to give my my flesh and blood, my little tent here, my temple, Paul says, I need to give it over. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price, it goes on to say. So glorify God in your body. Make God famous. Make Jesus famous in my body. Use my body to glorify God, not to glorify me. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, and this is really important. It kind of came out, was birthed out of a question that was asked at Ironwood Country Club through actually Rick Carlson. And it was very interesting. And, and, I, and I started thinking about it. And I said, I think our church needs to kind of know a little bit about this. It's, it's discovery prayer. Now you'd say, why are those two things how you get absorbed? Because if you don't know what your role in the play is, and you're over there and you're trying to be a Christmas tree that has no lines, and you've been called to be a lead actor, that's not going to work so well. Hey, Bob, why are you dressed up like an evergreen tree? 
You're supposed to be over there. You got all these lines. You're the kickoff. And you're just like, I don't think I have a role here. I don't know. I'm, I'm a tree. I'm a tree. I mean, we say, well, that's ridiculous. That's what it's like. That's what Jesus is dealing with. People that don't understand that they have a part in the cosmic drama of a reconciliatory tale. They just don't understand it. They don't see themselves. They try to do religious things. They try to give. They try to do different things. But ultimately, they don't really know. Why? Because they have not spent time in prayer. Discovery prayer. You know, Jesus made a very powerful statement in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, now catch this, in my name, I'll do it. Can I just tell you, I used to see that verse and go, I've prayed for more things in Jesus' name. Pray, 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 and then add at the end, in Jesus' name, that didn't happen, that I lost confidence in prayer. That's happened to many of you in here. You prayed somebody, and he said, in Jesus' name, and then somebody died. And that happened again, and it happened again. You say, you know what, I'm not so sure prayer works. And you wouldn't say it out loud, but deep down, you're like, and how do you know? Because you don't pray that much. If you really believed in prayer, you'd be on your knees all the time. If you believed you were in a cosmic drama that you played a crucial role, you'd be wanting to know, what do I do today? What do I do today? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to associate with? Where do you want me to give my time, my treasure, my talent? Lord, I'm yours. I don't own my body anymore. It's all yours. Tell me what you want me to do. But then we pray and then something in Jesus' name. Can I just tell you, praying in Jesus' name is not just adding Jesus in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. God's not going to be up there going, you pray it all a lot, but then you forgot to say in Jesus' name at the end. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, it's fascinating because Jesus is telling this, is talking about this with all of them, and then Judas leaves. See, Judas had a, he had a role in the cosmic drama, but not as a proponent, as an opponent, as I mentioned last week. Then, with the, those disciples left, here's what Jesus said. And I think this gives us an understanding of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Acts 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You want to know what it is to be in Jesus' name? To pray in Jesus' name? Here it is. Abide in me. Discover what I want. Discover what role I've given you from the foundations of the earth. You're my workmanship. That's who you are, and I have good works for you to walk in. That's what you're here for. Those good works play a crucial role in people being reconciled to me. And if you don't understand that, see, when we talk about the cross, we're talking about they play a crucial role. Many of you have come to Christ, been baptized, or been being discipled, or whatever's happened in your life through Church of the Red Door or all of our outposts. In some way, you've been impacted. They play a crucial role because they understood they had a role in the tale. Most people don't get it. If you abide in me and, and, and ask whatever you wish, and then it'll be done. Abiding is a crucial part of asking. That's what it means to be in Jesus. My Father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the fathers loved me, I also loved you. Abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my fathers and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be miserable and my miserable nature may be in you for all of life. That is not what the end part says. What does it say? So that you, well, so that my joy may be in you. 
and that your joy may be made full. In other words, if you want to abide in God's, if you want to abide in Jesus and be in his name, then you're, you get introduced as a bond slave into a supernatural realm where things actually come to pass that you pray for. Because you know that God wants you to do that because it's part of the play. How would, you, how would we accomplish this if we're not being part of the play? Now, do I, have I ever done things that weren't in complicity with the Spirit, and, but they looked very spiritual and very religious and God didn't answer them? Or his timing was different? That happens all the time. I'm a human being. B-E-I-N-G, not B-E-A-N. I'm, so I'm a human being. That's what I am. And I miss sometimes, but he has my body. I try to take it back. I give it back. I give it back. I give it back every day. I try to. You know, people do things in my name all the time. I have staff in various places around the country. We have staff here at Church of the Red Door, and people are doing things, and, you know, and, and they just do it in my name, and I give them full because they're doing it in the interest of the, of the role they play and the vision that we have collectively. Things happen in this church all the time, and they think I made the decision. I said, no, people are doing that. Now, when they're doing it in Jesus' name, but you understand the point here. People, given the interests that are happening, they're doing it. We do it in people's name all the time. But if somebody comes and says, you know what? We got a big drug deal going down, and we got to get all these drugs carted out of Mexico and get them up here through the cartel and da-da-da-da-da and get them right in here to La Quinta in the name of Jeffrey Cranford. You can just say, that's probably not true. I hope you say, that's not true. See, people are done. We do things in Jesus' name all the time. Just adding in Jesus' name at the end doesn't do anything, but living in the fullness of abiding in him and all of his teachings and everything he said about life and joy and peace, well, that's abiding in Jesus. And guess what? Prayers, all those prayers are answered because they're in perfect complicity with the king of the universe. Now, I'm going to close with this. How misguiding our soul, how, what happens when you misguide your soul? I'm going to talk just a little bit more about this. So remember what he said. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Somehow, that man in the parable had conceptualized a way of life that consisted of his possessions and his own interests. I will, I will, my barns, I will, I'll do this, I'll do this. And Jesus said, that guy's a fool. Something happened in his soul. Soul? Remember, he's having a conversation with his soul. Do you realize you have conversations with your soul all, all the time, whether or not you actually say soul? You conceptualize something. You have your will, which is your unction and your full force behind it. And then as a result, all your emotions follow it. And you get really freaked out when things don't go your way and aren't fulfilling the way you've conceived your life. Maybe you had a conception of life. You say, one day I can retire and live in the Coachella Valley and play golf every day. And then you get here and all your, and you worked hard and you saved and you worked hard and now you can afford two homes and you finally got here and you got here and now your heart and passions are emotions and, and all your unction was to get you here and then boy, your body fell apart and you can't play golf anymore. It always leads to disappointment. It's either short-lived or it leads to disappointment. Now, what if that was reversed? You saw yourself in a great cosmic story. Now you find yourself in the Coachella Valley, and you're saying, Lord, I want to use my body to glorify you, to make you famous in the earth. Thank you for sending me here. What is it that you want to do with my time, treasure, and talent? What possible thing could you have? Can I enter the story? Uh, is there a tale being told, and do I play a role? 
Those are fantastic questions to ask. So what you would do immediately is that you would conceptualize. You would then use your will and all your unction to begin to put your, your volitional will and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this uh, to glorify the king of the universe. And then your emotions, I promise you, they'll follow. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6. Let me read this. A lot of people see Matthew 6 and they go, ugh. Big old sack, put another auto in there, and God knows if I'll ever do that. But listen to it in light of the soul, a conversation with your soul. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, that's a concept. Now you conceptualize something very different. Isn't that wild? Because that goes against the grain of your life as your possessions. If my life is my possessions and I give some of my time or some of my energy or some of my abilities or some of my, some of my saved up money, if I give some of that away, what's gonna happen? Then I'm not gonna have life because my life consists of my possessions. We never say it, but we know it in our soul that that's what we're after. So the concept changes right there. Send it ahead. Live for Jesus. Okay, so the concepts change. Now watch what happens. Neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves don't break in. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So once you've conceptualized it, and we'll see the will here in a minute, what happens? Your heart, your will, your desires, your your desires change. You say, I don't have a desire to do that right now. I can't conceive that if I did something like Carlson said, I can't conceive that that would make me happy. I'll do it because Jesus told me to it, but can I just tell you? Jesus said, then your joy will be full. What Jesus is saying is, oh, even though you go in and it may feel laborious at first or sacrificial, you'll come out the other end and I promise you that you'll go, this is so much better. My life consisting of my possessions was leading me, oh, there were good moments and this and that, but overall it got me nothing that it promised. It felt like just a big sham. And now this doesn't look so good, but the more I pursue this, guess what happened? I am finding myself, I've got family, I got joy. And by the way, even the time that I've given away or anything of my life that I've given away, I know it's all stored up for me in heaven because Jesus said it would be and nothing can take it away. Not a bad market, not a coronavirus, not a inflation, nothing can take that from me. And that even makes me happier. And then now you get a snowball effect and you just wake up and you're just like ready to roll but I never conceived that that would be true. Now, that's what Jesus is teaching. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, by the way. So he goes on to say, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, your whole body would be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You've lost your way. Does your life consist of your possessions this morning? You've lost your way. Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. There's your volitional will. You just get up and you say, I choose to serve. And then you put all your unction in serving the king of the universe. That doesn't mean I'm not manipulating you to serve church of the red door. Your story may involve church of the red door to the to a degree that the Carlsons were or the or the Hermans or all many of you, executive team people and all the kind. They may involve you very highly. It may be tangential to that, but your story is somewhere in the advancement of the glory of Jesus. And when you find it, boy, you have found a treasure. You have found a treasure. He says you can't serve two. You can't. I know you want to cling to a life of 
that consists of possessions and serving me, but it doesn't work. You'll learn to hate one and love the other, or you'll despise the other. You just can't. We think it's twister here and here, and I'm going to hold on to that, and this and that, okay? And then all of a sudden, you just go, this doesn't work. And today might be the day where you go, you know what, that just doesn't work. Do a thought experiment as, as we close here. Do a thought experiment. What, what if we look back and we were able to get inside uh, Paul or Matthew or Peter or Mary Magdalene or uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus? What if we were able to climb in their head? Let's just take one of the guys. And, and here's what we really found out they were thinking about. Uh, you know what? Soul. So this is just an internal conversation. I got a Roman friend down here, and you cannot believe the chariot he got the other day. It was an unbelievable chariot. You cannot believe the bling on this chariot, man. These wheels, the, I mean, the, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, this chariot, I can't even imagine. I've been kind of walking to and fro to have a chariot. If I could only have a chariot, I wish I could have that chariot that my Roman friend has. We say that's the stupidest thing in the world. Why would we say that's stupid? Because we, with retrospect, know the role that those men and women played in this cosmic story of reconciliation. In light of watching them, we would say that is incongruous. Those two things don't fit. Why would Paul, doesn't Paul realize the the role that he would play? He would write two-thirds of the New Testament. We'd still be talking about him 2,000 years later. What is he doing worrying about some stupid Roman chariot? The only reason we would say that is because we know the end. When Paul went in, he didn't know the end. He knew he had a calling. Jesus had divulged his calling to him, and it would come with great sacrifice. See, when we look back, we'll say the same thing about our lives. Why? Jeff, you stupid guy. Why were you so concerned about chariots or whatever it is? Why did I imagine that my life consisted of my possessions and Wow, I did have a role in the story, but I never walked into it. Have you heard of these PPP loans? You know, all this stuff that the government gave out during the coronavirus to keep businesses afloat. Billions of dollars have been lost to taxpayers because of all the fraudulent stuff that's been going on. There, was a, there were three people here recently that were indicted on $18 million just of PPP loan frauds, and then they left. They left their kids at home. They fled the country, leaving their kids behind. You talk about a misplaced priorities. They were in absentia. They were uh, convicted. And one, one of the guys, the, the head guy, they said he's the ringleader. He's the master mind. He got like 17 years when they ever catch him. The FBI's after him, and they're on the FBI most wanted. He said, this guy's 17 years. Now, she's seven years, and she's like a sister-in-law. She's like three years, something like that, whatever it was. But he's 17 years because he's the mastermind. Can I tell you right now? I want to be so involved in God's story of reconciliation that I would be accused of a life sentence as being a mastermind. I want there to be enough evidence that somehow if I went before a spiritual court of law, which is called the judgment seat of Christ, guilty as charged for masterminding the glory of Jesus in the earth. Somehow he quit worrying about well, he wasn't worrying about it. Doesn't mean he didn't have a car to drive and didn't have a place to live. And, you know, this is, I'm not wearing a, just a torn up, tattered underwear up here standing in front of you. I have clothes. I didn't, but I'm not, I didn't worry about my clothes. 
God's provided my clothes, provided me a place to live, just like he said he would. I want to be indicted for being a mastermind in a master plot to reconcile the earth to the creator of their souls. Do you see life like that? Well, if you do, if you do, you can pray this with me. I very rarely write out prayers, but we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to sing this worship song called I Surrender. But listen to this. If this is your heart this morning, pray this with me. This is my ongoing prayer. This is not like a prayer I prayed a long time ago, and now I don't have to revisit it. i got to revisit this all the time, about every 15, 20 minutes. Lord Jesus, forgive me for the radically misguided conversations I have with my own soul. Lord, help me have the conversation you had with your soul, things like, oh, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I trust that this will lead to an extraordinary life because you said it would, full of joy and life abundant, both on this earth and in the life to come, which is very comforting, especially when I start losing my way. Lord, I want to truly live out my existence on this planet in your name, not just add it to the end of a prayer. I don't want to be a religious person. Please, God, don't let me just be a religious person. I want to be a true disciple of yours, useful to you for whatever purposes your staggering plans for humanity might entail. Jesus, I am yours. Scary. Powerful. Change your life. Everything I have is yours. I want to be rich toward you. Everything I am able to accomplish on earth, this earth is for you, through you, and to you from now and forevermore. That's a good prayer, I must say, even though I wrote it. But I wrote it on the back of 2,000 years of men and women who have given their lives a living sacrifice, and they are masterminds of a reconciliatory tale. They finally ask, what kind of tale am I in? And they answered it beautifully. Lord Jesus, I surrender all. (laughs) 